0: John chapter 1, we have made our way through uh, some of it, and here we are in verse 29 this morning to go through. And as I've been saying and and talking, of course, today is Palm Sunday. It is that day for perhaps those that aren't familiar, uh, that day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem to the praise of the people. And it's called Palm Sunday because one of the things they did to celebrate Christ coming in and to praise him was they would... Palm branches down, and they threw them in front of him as he rode into the city, as well as taking off their cloaks and throwing him in before him as a sign of worship and respect and adoration for him as the Messiah. It was, while it was a massive moment of praise, it was also a massive moment of misunderstanding. They were praising Christ as he rightly deserved to be, but they'd missed the point of what he was about to do. And so they were praising him, but for the wrong thing at that moment. Within hours, the very people who were calling out Hosanna and praising him and throwing down their coats and the palm branches before him, within hours would begin to start to curse him and reject him and plot to despise him or at least be deceived into killing him and rejecting him. So Palm Sunday gives us much to think about. And prepare us for to to ponder it is a reminder for us to praise Jesus our King and that's why we read Psalm 24 earlier because he is the King of glory he is our Lord of hosts he comes lowly and riding on a donkey as we see him there on that that Sunday we praise him for the humility that he showed in the first coming that he subjected himself to sorrow and trouble and pain And the death on a cross because as we we think and and we've we've sung songs of of praise and and we've read passages of praise today for him from Philippians 2 and Psalm 24 and we think of praise but as we move through this week if we're pondering the meaning of what is taking place this week with his death and his resurrection next Sunday as we move through this week we're going to move from the rejoicing and the praise of today and we will find sorrow and sadness and hurt and pain through the days ahead, until we come again to Sunday, where the rejoicing returns. So there is this, uh, perhaps, this emotional roller coaster that this Passion Week can bring to us as we ponder what Christ has done for us, leading to His great uh, victory over sin and death. So in this this week, our minds are drawn to focus. And to ponder through the week what Christ has done for us and what that cost him to do. And I think today our passage, which we're going to read here in just a moment, is particularly relevant. Jesus here by John the Baptist is presented to the people. John is testifying of who Jesus is as he begins his earthly ministry. And he lifts up Jesus. He praises Jesus as we ought to. Yet like the people on Palm Sunday... There is misunderstanding of who he is and what he came to do. And so this, perhaps, as John tells us about Jesus, may clarify some of those misunderstandings. Let's begin in John chapter 1 and verse 29. We're going to read just a short passage through verse 34. So this comes the next day, as he says there in uh, verse 29, from what we talked about last week. The next day. John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Let's have a moment of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, to see the glory of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Fill our hearts with, with praise and anticipation as we are reminded of all that you are and all that you came to do for us. You know, when we, when we need a saviour, when we need a leader, it's not normal for us to, to look for someone who is described as a lamb. In many ways, that's part of our problem in the political arena. We look for someone who is the lion, and forget to look at the character behind the lion. And so we're often, when we're looking for somebody to deliver us, we're looking for someone that is strong, not someone described in humility as a lamb. And Israel was that way. You know, Palm Sunday is it's all about that. Israel was looking for the lion, the one who was gonna deliver them from Rome, the one who was gonna set up his kingdom, the one who was going to fulfill all of his promises and, and rule in, in power and might. They were looking for the lion, not the lamb. And that's where the misunderstanding and the trouble came from. As is God's pattern so often, he provides for his deliverance, he provides for his salvation in a way which is so often overlooked. We're not looking for the way he's going to do it, but he does it in humble and, uh, and subtle ways. And though we're not Israel, we really are not all that different from Israel in what we look for and the way we think. We spend more time thinking about our need to be saved from trouble than we do thinking about our need to be saved from sin. You'll think how many people perhaps you've met or you've spoken to who, in a time of trouble or sorrow, or difficulty, have cried out to God, God, I need you now. I haven't prayed in I don't know how many years. And I don't even know if you're there. But if you're there, do something for me now. Rescue me. And if you do, I'll do this for you. We make deals with God. Because at that moment, we need the lion. And then when the lion comes, in one form or another, perhaps he shows mercy and rescues, then we forget. Because we're more interested in the deliverance out of our trouble than we are about what we really need. The lion will come, the great and powerful and mighty deliverer will come, and we will, we will see some aspects of that as we go through. But first, there's something the lion can't do that we need a lamb for. We need Jesus to be the lamb, not just the lion. So John the Baptist here points out that Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There may be many things going on in your life right now where you need help, where you need uh, a lion, and maybe you're looking for the lion. But this morning I want us to look at what so many of us overlook. Before the lion, we need the lamb. And here John presents to us Jesus, the lamb of God. There are a number of things I think we can see here about Jesus as lamb, as john presents it to us here and the first we're going to consider is this that jesus is the suffering lamb of god jesus is the suffering lamb of god what does john the baptist mean when he says that jesus is the lamb of god what was he trying to describe those who are familiar with the bible which perhaps this morning is is so many of us uh, are probably familiar with the picture of the lamb throughout the Bible, what it represents. It's closely related with the Old Testament feasts and the the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Certain images or events may even come to mind as they remind us or picture us, uh, or remind us of these pictures of, of the lamb. There is a powerful expectation in this idea, in this picture of the lamb. Maybe as we think of the lamb, maybe our minds go back to Genesis 22 with Abraham. And Abraham takes his son Isaac uh, uh, by God's command to offer him as a sacrifice. And we think of the, the ram that God provided as a substitute that day. So that Isaac wasn't sacrificed, but a ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. Maybe that's the picture that comes to mind when we think of the lamb of God. Or maybe we think of Exodus 12, the Passover lamb. Maybe that's the one that comes to mind most often in this time because we're, we're close to Passover, we're celebrating Easter and that's the, the picture we so often get where they, they killed the lamb and, and they would prepare it and they would eat it and then the blood of that lamb was put over the doorposts of the house to cover the family from the angel of death that would pass over. You know, sometimes the picture of the lamb gets sort of mingled or mixed up and so many of the other sacrifices and things get brought into the picture of the lamb because there were so many sacrifices and so many of these feasts which pictured what christ would do and and they often involved bulls or or goats or other things and sometimes when we think about the idea of the lamb of god all of those things kind of get combined into that one picture of the lamb and so maybe as you're thinking of the lamb of god maybe you think of places like leviticus 16 where it describes the the scapegoat you're that that goat that the 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 high priest would take outside of the camp of Israel and figuratively he would would put his hands on the head of that goat to figuratively pass the sins of Israel onto the goat and then release it into the wilderness for the sins to be gone. Maybe these are the pictures and the things that you think of when you think of the Lamb of God. There's so many more. Maybe there's so many of those things that come mind there were many daily sacrifices and offerings as well some of them involved lambs and some of them didn't but clearly there is a reason that john the baptist uses this imagery for jesus there's a reason that jesus that john takes this word the lamb of god and applies it to christ here it's important it's part of that powerful symbolism that expectation you're the new testament reveals to us that all of these sacrifices and all of these offerings and 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 all the things that that combined in that that law had significance they helped us understand who christ was going to be who the messiah would be and what he would do in in so many of those those pictures many of them many of the sacrifices many of the feasts particularly had the expectation of the messiah and his work now, well, some of them were much more personal or in thanksgiving. Many of them were indeed about his work. But the New Testament reminds us that these pictures point us to Jesus Christ. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So Paul takes that idea of the, 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 uh, the Pas- Paschal Lamb and brings it into that Jesus is the one who would be sacrificed for us. In Hebrews uh, Hebrews chapter 9, we described the sacrifice of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, this is one of those passages I think which helps us because it sort of combines so many of the ideas of sacrifice into one. It says in Hebrews 9 verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean Sanctifieth through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit is offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? These sacrifices pictured the work of Christ. They were imperfect representations, to be sure, but they were pictures, they were representations. You know, as we see in Hebrews nine, some of those representations, some of those pictures were the, the, the perfect purity of Christ. You know, as they picked the, the lambs and as they say, picked these animals to be sacrificed, they were to be without spot. they were to be the best of the flock to represent the pure sinlessness of Jesus Christ. One of the imperfect ways that these sacrifices represented Christ was that these sacrifices were done at least once a year. Some of them more, but they had to be done once a year, because they couldn't take care of sin. they could only picture the covering of sin. Whereas we're told with Christ, his one sacrifice was enough. There is no more needed. First Peter chapter one uh, tells us that he, he suffered, and in his suffering and in his offering, the Father was satisfied so like the sacrifices of, of old, Jesus was our substitute. That is, he died in my place. So yeah, the picture of, of Isaac and the, the ram comes into play here in, in some way. That he died in my place for my sin. We call that in theological terms a, a penal substitution. That is, that when Christ paid the debt for sin, he did not pay the exact debt of my sin. Because the exact debt of my sin is, I have to pay it. I have to pay it. To pay the exact debt. Penal substitution is that the equivalent payment was made. That is, the father made an arrangement to accept the sacrifice of another on behalf of me. So it's not the exact payment because I didn't have to die for my salvation the Father accepted the the, the sacrifice of the Son on my behalf to pay fully my debt. That is, I don't have to pay the debt to the Father. These are all important truths. And they're all pictured in the Lamb. And they're all pictured in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And they're all important for us to remember. But that doesn't seem to be what John is really thinking about. John uses a word for lamb here, which in the New Testament is only used four times. John uses it twice, here in verse 29, and again in verse 36. It's used again in Acts chapter 8 and verse 32. If you know Acts very well, you'll know that Acts chapter 8 is the passage with the Ethiopian prince. And where where is he found? He's found in his, his chariot reading Isaiah this passage it's also used in one other place in the New Testament where Peter uses it in uh, in first Peter and in first Peter 1 it is an allusion to Isaiah 53 so in all the places where this particular word lamb is used in the New Testament they all have reference to Isaiah 53 the suffering lamb so while there is a powerful expectation in the lamb there is also a very painful reality you might want to turn with me to Isaiah 53 I'm going to read through that because it bears so much importance to what John the Baptist is talking about here it seems that above all the other pictures of the lamb this is the one he had in his mind when he says behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world Isaiah. I 53 I'm going to take the time this morning to read through this whole psalm, or this whole passage. He who believed our report, and to whom is the, the arm of the Lord revealed, but he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? That he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. John, as he stands there and he proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God. He is proclaiming the suffering Lamb of God the suffering servant. He speaks, Isaiah in Isaiah 53, he speaks of the Messiah being harmless and innocent, like a lamb. He speaks of him being meek and humble. The one who would bear our sins. The one who would carry our sorrows, suffer our pain. The one who would be wounded for our transgressions. This is the Lamb of God. He was not what was expected as the Messiah. This was not what they had hoped for. That the Messiah would suffer. That the Messiah would be humble. He was unassuming. You know, John says in, in John 1 and verse 31, he says, I, you know, I, I didn't recognize him. That is, the father gave John the Baptist a sign. So even though they were cousins, there was a, a, a sense in which there was a way in which John, until the moment the dove descended onto Christ's head, John was not certain that Jesus was the Messiah. But he tells us in those verses, the sign the father gave me to know for certain was when the dove would descend, when the spirit would descend upon him. So all those stories about Jesus doing miracles and being this really weird and out there kid who could do amazing things and sometimes taunt others with his great powers were were not true. Isaiah says that that he he wouldn't be beautiful. He wouldn't be seen well. He would just be there. And John says here he is. Now this isn't the, the moment of his baptism. That's before So, John is saying, I know this is the Lamb of God because when I baptized him, I saw the Spirit descend. I know that this is the Lamb of God who will take away our sins. Before his ministry, he wasn't doing miracles. He didn't come as the lion, he came as the lamb. But although he was not what we expected, he is what we need. We didn't need the bold lion first we needed the submissive lamb we needed the lamb of god what good what good is a kingdom if in that kingdom we all die because we're still riddled with sin we needed the lamb so that the kingdom becomes its ultimate reality its ultimate beauty its ultimate glory There was a greater foe at stake here than Rome. Jesus had to defeat our greatest foe, death and sin. And they didn't know him, and they would reject him. Jesus is the suffering lamb of God. But of course, tied up in that that phrase, in that, that name, and tied up in the the prophecy of isaiah 51 is the very next idea which is that jesus is the saving lamb in his suffering is where we find the saving the suffering lamb is the saving lamb john the baptist as he tells us that jesus is the lamb of god which takes away the sin of the world is telling us that jesus came for an eternal purpose Jesus came to deal with sin Jesus came to take away sin In 1 Peter chapter 1, I mentioned it before, and it speaks of Christ coming and satisfying the Father. And and chapter 1 and verse 20 of 1 Peter, he says that this plan, this plan that Jesus would come and suffer and die for our sins was the plan that God made before the foundation of the world. Before any of this was created, God had planned that Christ would suffer for our sakes. He is the Lamb that would willingly sacrifice and suffer death for us romans 5 8 but god commends or god shows or god displays his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us jesus came to die for sinners yes god wants to help you with your troubles He wants to be a comfort and he wants to be a strength to you. But he cannot properly do that in your life until he has dealt with sin. Without dealing with the fundamental, the underlying issue of all our troubles, it does not matter how much he comforts you if he does not deal with what is causing the discomfort. Sin. Sin. He comes to take away that phrase to take away the sin of the world is another very important connection to Isaiah 53 to take away our sin take away means to to lift up to bear to carry away so to lift that off of us to take it away and to bear it away from us to take our burden to take our sin Jesus voluntarily takes our sin and carries it away. As Isaiah 53 says it, verse 4, that idea of takes away carries the same idea that he bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. In verse 6 of Isaiah 53, it says the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. He takes my sin, he takes my iniquity and he lifts it off of me and he lays it on him. Verse 12 of Isaiah 53 gives the same indication that he will bear the sins of many. He bears our sins, he takes away our sin, he carries our sin away. He lifts our sin off of us and he lays it on himself. And in absolute victory, he carries that sin away from us. Isaiah 53, it ends. Of course, we know so much of that psalm is about his suffering and about how he will carry our burdens and he will be despised and he will be rejected. But it ends in verse 12. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bared the sins of many and made intercession for us. This, he stands as an intercessor for us. That is, he is the guarantee we are never charged with our sin again. When we take Christ as our Savior, when we believe that he takes our sin off of of ourselves and he puts it on him, he is the guarantee as our intercessor, I will never, ever be charged with that sin again. Romans 8 reminds us of those very truths. Romans 8 and verse 33, who shall lay any charge to God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, there, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Because he willingly submitted to death, I will never have to. Jesus is the saving lamb that takes away the sin of the world. What does John mean by takes away the sin of the world? It can't be a universal salvation. He says he's going to take away the sin of the world and that everyone will be saved because clearly that's not true. People suffer and they die in their sin and they reject Christ and find no salvation. So it can't mean that, that Jesus takes away the sin of the world and that means he is going to save everyone without distinction. Can't mean that. It's not a potential salvation either in that he uh, paid enough so that everyone could be saved if they believed. So it doesn't mean a potential salvation either. That it's possible that the whole world could be saved. I believe the, the, the old Baptist pastor John Gill has it right when he describes what John says here as this, that God, what Jesus did was that it is the sin which is common to the whole world. Namely, original sin. He came to die for what is common for all of us. See, i think that's why john says that he is the lamb of god which takes away the sin of the world not the sins of the world he came to take away our fundamental issue the thing that is common To all of us. The thing that no matter where we are. No matter what we believe in the end about Jesus or not. Was common to every single one of us. It is what makes us common as humanity. It is what makes us common as the world. That is we are all born into this world in sin. That is something that none of us can take away. That is what is common to all. Of us. Jesus died for what fundamentally ruins us, our sin nature. Paul says in Romans 5 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed to all men, for all have sinned. Sin is what is common. To every single one of us. Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 15. His great chapter on the resurrection. In verse 22 he says. For as in Adam. All die. It is what afflicts all of us. It is our common bond. Jesus didn't just die for the bad stuff we do. Our sins. He died for what makes us do the bad stuff sin that is what unites us all we are all dead in sin so we have a common bond in that we are all born in sin but there is a common hope world speaks of humanity in general it speaks of all peoples that is what christ came to do wasn't just about israel Which is very interesting we don't have the time to go through it all because here that that phrase the lamb of god which takes away the sin of the world includes not just israel but it's meant to include the world that's why he uses it the world generally not just israel but the connection there to isaiah 53 is also very important because one of the main people that isaiah is writing to or speaking about in isaiah 53 are the gentiles so the lamb of god is not just a Jewish messiah the lamb of god is the savior for peoples of all the nations the messiah isn't just about a kingdom it's not he's not just about a land a land or promises all those promises and all those things that god promised to israel that were bound up in the messiah were part of the messiah's greater purpose a much larger purpose, to call out for himself a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. This verse that Jesus came to take away the sins of the world tells us why we gather here today with people from America and Australia and and various places of Europe and places in Africa, and Asia, and we are all here as the people of God, worshipping, because Jesus is not just the Savior of Israel, he is the Savior of the world. He is our common hope. Because he died for what is common in all of us, there is hope for every nation. Jesus is the saving, the suffering lamb. Jesus is the saving lamb. And finally, this morning, Jesus is the supreme lamb of God. For this, I want us to look forward. And we're going to change the picture of lamb a little bit. And moving from the suffering lamb, which John presents, to look to the lamb ahead. In Revelation chapter 5, again, we see Jesus described as the lamb. In fact, this is a picture which runs through Revelation, the idea of Jesus as lamb. Revelation 5, you can read through the whole thing, but I want to draw our attention particularly this morning to verses like verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And then verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. This suffering, saving lamb is indeed the supreme lamb of god that lives victorious yes john had every intent here to tell us about a a savior a lamb that was going to submit and die but in his saving he would become supreme above all as we saw in the beginning the picture of the lamb is is deep The suffering lamb and the suffering servant seems to carry all of those images that we uh, we imagine with the lamb, the the sacrifice and the substitute and and all of those seem to be bound up in that picture of the suffering saviour. He bore our sins and he became our intercessor but there is victory ahead. In Isaiah 53 verse 12, which we've, we've read a couple of times now, it leaves us with a glimpse of more than suffering. Verse 12, the final verse of that great prophecy of the coming Christ, is a picture of coming victory. That there is victory ahead. He uses words like, poured out his soul. And it's that phrase from Isaiah 53 which seems to inform Paul when he writes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 that he emptied himself or made himself of no reputation. That is, he poured himself out. So when we began our service this morning and we read Philippians chapter 2 and we read those words how that Christ suffered and died and he poured himself out or he emptied himself out, that's the suffering part. But of course, because of that suffering, we come to verse 9, where it says, Because of the suffering, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Look further ahead here in Revelation and we see the glory of that lamb the lamb who was slain stands in victory. He suffered and was slain but now he reigns victorious in heaven forever. You know one of the things I love about Roman Revelation 5 and it's one of my favorite chapters because of this portion but what I love about it so much is it shows us that the theme of the song that they sing in heaven is the same theme that John is telling us about in Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Why is he worthy? Because he was slain and he redeemed us with his own blood. We sing the same song through all eternity. From beginning to end, Christ is worthy because he was the suffering, saving lamb who now reigns above all. Every lamb of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, every single one, the millions and millions and millions of those lambs that were sacrificed are dead. They could only represent forgiveness. They could only cover sin. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, suffered and died, and he lives. And he lives to make intercession For his people. Our debt is paid. The Lamb of God redeemed us by his blood. He paid the price and he purchased us. And that doesn't only mean that I am his, but also that he has committed himself to my care. You're to be purchased. By Christ doesn't just mean that yes I owe my life to him and I need to give all I am to him it also means because he has bought me he is responsible for me it is now his responsibility to care for me to protect me and to take care of all that I am and to bring me safely to the end the debt is paid and I am now given new life all the consequences That come with a sin nature all the shame that comes all the peril of sin are removed and in absolute eternal truth i am free free because he lives because he is the suffering lamb of god and the saving lamb of god and the supreme lamb of god Worthy of praise. And that is what's happening in Revelation 5. Because he was the suffering, saving lamb, he is praised amongst his people. Offer your praise. I think that's why this is an appropriate message for today. Because Palm Sunday is a reminder to sing Christ's praises. To shout, Hosanna! Which literally means, save Lord! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And like we will in heaven, the Lamb is worthy of praise. Can we go back just finally to, to where we began our service this morning in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or poured him out. That's the reference to Isaiah. Isaiah. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As the Lamb of God, he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise because he is God, Paul tells us. He is worthy of praise because he was obedient to the will of the Father. He is worthy of praise because he persevered and he endured the suffering, the suffering to death. He is worthy of praise because he won the battle and he defeated sin and death. He is worthy of praise. But what we learn from all of these verses that call us to praise Jesus is not only is he worthy of praise and that his people should willingly and sacrificially offer our praise, but what we learn from all of these verses about he is worthy of praise is that no matter what, he will receive praise from everyone. You can reject him today, but there will be a day When you will bow to him because he is king of kings and lord of lords praise should flow from our lips with ease and frequency as the people of god sadly so many people refuse him like isaiah describes they reject they despise they hide from him but you cannot hide from him forever you can believe him today and you can find forgiveness you can find forgiveness from your sin you can find praise for who he is or you can reject him but even when you reject him one day you will bow before him and you will recognize that he is lord but in that day it will be too late to find his freedom. But for those of us who praise him now because we know who he is, because we have believed his suffering and his saving, praise is free, and glorious, and eternal. John writes to us, or speaks to us, to see, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. It's a beautiful and inspiring image the Lamb of God. Deeply moving as we recognize the depths of its meaning. Brothers and sisters, as we enter into this Passion Week, maybe maybe you're not a a person who likes to to follow the the church schedule and, 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 and the liturgical schedules. Fine. But don't waste this week. Out of the 52 weeks we have in a year, we have one week where our focus is driven to see Jesus in a magnificent and wonderful and glorious way of praise and adoration. Don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste this week. Use it to inspire your praise. To fill your mind with the glories of Christ, to rejoice in thanksgiving for everything that God has done, which gives you the freedom to worship for the other 51 weeks of the year. Use this week to testify of Jesus, to tell his story. See, this is the week that reminds us that our testimony of salvation is not our testimony. We are not the hero of the story. Don't make yourself the hero of your own story. The hero of our story is Jesus. Testify of him this week. Let the world know Jesus is the Savior and Jesus reigns. Unbeliever, if you're here this morning and you haven't ever believed Jesus as your Savior... This is what Jesus is about. the Suffering, saving servant. He is, he is the God who came to take your place. To pay the debt that you owe. So that you don't have to die. He is the God who takes care of your fundamental issues the thing that is causing your sorrow and your sadness and your heartache and your troubles. Despite your rebellion against him, Jesus stands now to take your punishment, to call you his own. You too can know the freedom, the joy and life if you believe that Jesus is your savior from sin. Seek his forgiveness and turn your life to follow him then you will know the joy and the hope of Jesus you will understand why we come here every Sunday with joy let's pray together our heavenly father we thank you for this opportunity to have our our eyes lifted as we read in Psalm 24 this morning the call is to lift up our heads to see God to see our Savior we thank you for that opportunity through John the Baptist today to see that Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world who endured the pain and the suffering who carries my burdens and takes away my transgressions fill our hearts with joy the joy of your salvation. And dear God, if there is someone here this morning who does not know you as Savior, please open their eyes, draw them to your precious Son. In Jesus' name.